0: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So after a week off, we are back again with you. And I thought we'd do something a little bit different this week. Instead of the usual kind of detailed roundup of security vulnerabilities that have been fixed by the team this week, I thought that I would dig into a couple particular issues ...and give some more detail on those. So what we're going to look at this week is some vulnerabilities that were announced by Microsoft called Nimbus Pwn... ...and go into some of the details of those, plus I guess some of the the more interesting parts of that from an Ubuntu perspective. As well, we're going to look at some of the security features that have just come out in the latest Ubuntu release, Ubuntu 2204 Long-Term Support... Uh, so yeah let's just get straight into that now as i said i wasn't going to go into the various vulnerabilities that have been done this week but just to give you a bit of a heads up if you haven't been installing new security updates as always you should be but we had updates for kernel packages as well barbican what else git for 2204 long-term support the latest release OpenJDK saw some updates, Engine X, uh, WebKit GDK, even Mutt, uh, the one that I'll be digging into a bit later, Network D Dispatcher, GoScript, uh, MySQL, and yeah, the Linux kernel for Raspberry Pi as well. So yeah, if you uh, want more details on that, I've got links to all of those in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, make sure as always you are installing your security updates. And with any luck, you've got unattended upgrades running, and it will be installing those for you uh, out of the box uh, so that you're not even having to worry. But yeah, uh, so if you want more details, go check out the show notes, but let's dig into the two particular issues that I wanted to cover this week. The first one, uh, Nimbus Pwn. So this is uh, a couple of vulnerabilities that were disclosed by Microsoft in a blog post at the end of April. Basically, uh, this blog post got a lot of media attention talking about basically how Linux uh, was vulnerable to these root privilege escalation vulnerabilities that could be used to execute arbitrary code on your machines as root. So oh uh, yeah, this blog post, if you read into it, it talks about uh, how, you know, there's various vulnerabilities in this component called Network D Dispatcher, as I say, that could be used to get root privilege escalation and therefore code execution. It talks about how these vulnerabilities are directory traversal, uh, there's a symlink race as well, a time of check to time of use, uh, permissions check, uh, the race condition that could then allow you to essentially execute things uh, as root that weren't actually owned by root and anyway, I talks a lot about all these issues uh you know how then they can get uh you know this stuff being executed as root but it all relies on being able to have an arbitrary process uh, run under the systemd network user that's because Network D Dispatcher listens to messages from the org.freedesktop.network1 name on Dbus. And so Dbus is, I guess, the component that on your system allows various things to talk to each other in a named fashion. So you can bind to a name on there. You can then send messages to other named processors and you could get signals from them. Very cool stuff that's used by lots of parts of the desktop as well as you know, parts of the system as well but yeah basically you know the can own a name on there and then you you know other processes can then receive messages and they will you know do different things depending on say in this case if it's coming from a particular sender uh, so if you can own the name org.freedesktop.network1, uh, then you can control essentially networkddispatch to do whatever you want. And that's fine because uh, in general, only the systemd network user is able to own that name. And in their blog post, particularly the original version of their blog post, they mentioned that uh, you know, they've saw various processes like GPGV, uh plugins and EPMD running under this user. Now, GPGV plugins, they're launched by apt or apt-get during package installation and upgrade. And so that is the kind of thing, obviously, that happens a lot on Linux machines. And so that sounds like a common scenario that almost anyone would be affected by. You know, as I mentioned at the start, unintended upgrades, if you're running that, then you're automatically getting apt running at various points to install things. So, you know, you could imagine often you've got these GPGV plugins that are running under this user and so could potentially be compromised. Uh, the other uh, process, EPMD, they mentioned, uh, that's the Erlang port mapper daemon. Uh, that's not uh, common unless probably you're running Erlang processes, but yeah, you know, there are certain things that are that, so you could be running that as well. So, you know, various machines could be affected by this. You know, you're running apt all the time, you've got these plugins running. However, And if we actually go and look at Apt, though, we see that it doesn't do this. Uh, As the Apt maintainer, Julian Andrus-Claude, points out, uh, it runs uh, these plugins under the Apt user account purposefully to be able to restrict their privileges. Uh, And so uh, we went, uh, after Julian raised this, we went and questioned Microsoft about this, uh, and they kind of said, look, uh, we can't just provide details on this. This is customer-specific stuff. Uh, But they then went and amended their blog post just to say that instead of calling out these uh, GPGB plugins and EPMD by name, that is that they were able to see various instances of processes running under this systemd network user in various customer environments, uh, and state they then go on to state that some of these were probably due to customer misconfiguration. So, what we then see really is there's no real evidence that in general Ubuntu or Linux users were affected by this, as all the media reports suggested. Uh, you know, it's likely in this case perhaps customers were using uh, various container environments and so running processes in those where they had uh, user IDs that ended up being mapped back to the systemd network user on the host and that's obviously you know, a potentially a common, I guess, pitfall of containers where you're gonna make sure that you are doing uh, user ID mapping correctly, but that's all part of running containers. Um, so yeah, something to watch out for there. Uh, you don't wanna map them back to potentially privileged users on your host. Uh, but so you know really what appeared to be this high priority high profile vulnerability that got a lot of different media attention is a bit of a non-issue you know whilst uh, these are probably real vulnerabilities in network d dispatcher that you know it didn't check various things could end up doing directory traversal and the like to actually be able to exploit it you really need to own this name on dbus and you can only do that uh, by you know either being root in the first place or by misconfiguring your system to have other you know processes running under that user This doesn't happen out of the box. And so it is interesting also, uh, I guess, to note that while Microsoft have amended their blog post and remove any mention of that, the media articles still uh, claim that, you know, GPGV plugins and EPMD uh, run under this user and could be used to exploit uh, your Ubuntu machine. Uh, Also interesting to note, uh, as Julian did, that uh, Microsoft, they work directly with the upstream maintainer of NetworkD Dispatcher uh, to patch these and get the patches released but uh, yeah, there wasn't any kind of coordination with distros around it. There is the closed Linux distros mailing list that is only uh, able to be subscribed to by Linux distributions where uh, vulnerabilities get kind of pre-announced. There's up to a two-week embargo that can be done there uh, so they can coordinate on patches, review patches, that kind of thing, make sure everything's uh, all ready to go, get their uh, updates ready so that when a uh, vulnerability goes public, pat- uh, the updated packages can all be ready to release as well. Uh, Microsoft didn't use that in this case. So distros didn't really have any heads up about this. The first we heard really was the uh, Microsoft blog post and the various media articles that were out about it. Uh, but, you know, partly that's, you know, not great disclosure. there, not being able to get a heads up. But also if they we had got a heads up on this, we could have probably assessed it and said, actually, this isn't anywhere near as widespread as what you're claiming. And the whole thing probably could have been avoided. And it would have been one less, uh, I guess, a brief internet uh, panic scenario. Uh, yeah, it could have been avoided. So, yeah, that's an interesting one to note. We, As I mentioned earlier, we did patch these vulnerabilities nonetheless. But, yeah, it could have been done, I guess, with less urgency had Microsoft spent the time to dig into this and really, Uh, understand what it was that they were reporting. All right, Uh, so that is uh, Nimbus Bone. Uh, The other thing we want to talk about in this week's uh, podcast is uh, some of the security features that are in the latest Ubuntu release, Ubuntu 2204 Long-Term Support. So uh, I'm gonna do this over a couple different episodes. In this first one, uh, we're gonna look at some of the various features that are included as a result of the kernel improvements that are in uh, that release. Uh, And uh, next week and others, we'll look at uh, the features provided by other parts of the distribution. So uh, as you probably know, Ubuntu 2204 LTS is the latest long-term support release of Ubuntu. Uh, Being a long-term support release, it comes with five years of standard support plus five years of extended security maintenance support. Thought that gives you a total of 10 years Years of support uh, via Ubuntu Advantage. Now, Ubuntu Advantage is free for personal use as well as uh, our uh, paying customers too. Uh, if you don't have that enabled on your machine and you're running a long-term support release, I recommend that you do. Uh, so you can go to Ubuntu.com/slash advantage for that. Uh, however, I digress. Uh, having 10 years of support, obviously, then is means it's a great foundation uh, to use for deploying any of your services or applications that you're going to do, because you know it will be supported for a long time to come. Now, as it's been two years since the last long-term support release, as they always are, two years in between, uh, there are lots of different things that we can cover here. I'm only gonna do a brief coverage of these. Uh, If you want more of a deep dive, check out uh, the various blog posts that I published about the various features in the interim releases that have uh, come along the way between the the different long-term support releases. Now, uh, to start off with, uh 2204 LTS uh, comes with various optimized kernels for different platforms. I actually mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when I did the initial announcement of this release. Um, so on our OEM certified desktop machines, you get a 5.17 based kernel. On our desktop and server platforms, you get the 5.15 general availability kernel initially. And the desktop uh, machines will actually get uh, enrolled in the hardware enablement stack by default. And so what that means that in the future, when we have newer kernel versions in newer Ubuntu releases, they then get backported ported to uh, this long-term support release. And so then you will get a kernel upgrade uh, for free on the desktop, which then means that you know you get uh enablement for various new hardware features and things that your machines may have that may not be supported by the current kernel uh, similarly for things like graphics stack and graphic drivers as well clouds as well we have various uh, kernels for those and they have their own optimized kernels that we do in partnership with the different cloud providers and they may have different versions too so basically you're getting a brand new kernel and that comes with a heap of different new features uh, some of these are hardware specific so on intel that includes things like sgx Uh, software guard extensions and so this is essentially a hardware feature in intel processes where uh, the software can set up secure enclaves that then can't be accessed by other untrusted parts of the you know other untrusted processes and things on the process that then means you can store things like secrets in there or do you know encrypted uh, computation all of that kind of stuff that you might want to do away from untrusted parts and you can make sure then that that won't say be snooped on not just intel though uh, for amd we have a secure encrypted virtualization and that is a feature of, as the name suggests for virtualization used by the kvm subsystem which is then uh, used to encrypt and protect guest virtual machine registers so that uh, say even the host machine can't read those so if you are doing uh, virtualization that then gives you i guess a level of protection that you don't have to worry as a guest that uh, the host can be reading what you're doing and uh, for ARM64 you're not left out either Uh, this kernel also brings uh, support for the memory tagging feature that is available on newer ARM Uh, that then allows I guess you to set up certain memory regions that can be tracked and can be protected against memory corruption attacks essentially by protecting kernel pointer addresses so they can't be corrupted or if they are corrupted that you can detect that corruption as a result so it then helps protect against memory corruption attacks and the like. Uh, as well as these hardware-specific enhancements that are in the kernel, uh, there are also some generic improvements. So something that's been worked on for a long time, and actually we have talked about it a few different times, uh, is core scheduling. This is a feature for uh, the kernel which allows it to essentially track um, different sort of privileged processes and make sure that they don't get scheduled across uh, symmetric multithreading or hyperthreading siblings. Basically, uh, this is done to avoid various hardware microarchitectural side-channel attacks. So since the days of the Spectre and Meltdown vulnerabilities were first announced over four years ago now, uh, there have been newer uh, different microarchitectural attacks that have been discovered where various uh, features within the processes that are shared between the, the different processes on your machine means that some can snoop on others in various ways in the case of uh, symmetric multi-threading or hyper-threading as it's called by intel uh, there are various different buffers and things within the processor that are shared between those uh, sibling hyper-threads as they're called and that then means there are certain attacks that you almost can't close off because those things are shared between those processors. Uh, and so in the past the only way really to protect against these was to disable hyper-threading or disable symmetric multi-processing on your processors that obviously comes with a performance hit and it's the kind of thing that uh, you know you may not want it to you may not want to uh, come have that performance hit but if you want to be completely certain that untrusted things can't snoop on each other that's the kind of thing you had to do however now with core scheduling you can essentially tag different processes with different cookie values and then the kernel will make sure that they aren't scheduled across sibling hyperthreads to make sure then you know they can be protected from each other. So that's really cool to see. Uh, As I say, that's been in development for a while and it's something that I personally have actually been waiting to see get into the kernel. Uh, Similarly, another good kernel protection is uh, kernel stack offset randomization. Uh, What happens here is that across different system calls, the location of the kernel stack is randomized. And that then means that if say you can leak a uh, address of the kernel stack in one system call, uh, you can't then use that in a subsequent system call to say overwrite parts of the stack and get say code execution or whatever it is that you might wanna get within the kernel. So this is a memory. Corruption attack protection there uh, that has been introduced. Uh, Similarly, uh, the BPF subsystem, this is something that I guess has seen a lot of use and development in the last few years. Uh, It's nowadays not just used for uh, packet filtering, as the original name suggested, but also for uh, the tracing subsystem, for perf. Uh, Also, uh, there's now a BPF LSM, even, so you can have a Linux security module that where the policy is encoded as BPF programs and more. However, uh, we have seen uh, a heap of different vulnerabilities as a result, basically because as user space, you are injecting code into the kernel to be executed. There is the BPF verifier that tries to make sure that your code isn't, you know, overriding arbitrary memory addresses or anything like that. But uh, as with any kind of, I guess, verifier, there can be things that it misses. And so that has caused various different vulnerabilities in the past. As a result, uh, you know, this kernel now disables uh, use of BPF by unprivileged processes. By default, you have to be root out of the box to be able to use BPF. Uh, as well, um, there has been work now done upstream to support signed BPF programs to try to ensure that only trusted BPF programs are executed. And this kernel also supports that too. So it's cool to see, uh, I guess, some of these improvements to BPF because this is being used more and more all over the place for all kinds of purposes. And one other thing is the landlock Linux security module. Uh, this is used for application-level sandboxing. This is reasonably new. And uh, I guess we already have existing security modules like AppArmor or SE Linux. And these are more uh, traditional mandatory access control systems where your system administrator defines policy generally for the whole system, and that then goes and enforces it. In the case of landlock, though, it's more on an application level. So the application provides its own policy that then gets enforced. This is a little more like SecComp, where an application can load its own setcomp filters to restrict what it can do. And the same thing goes for landlock. Uh, You basically load your own policy that says, in this case, what files can be accessed, and that will then go and be enforced by the Linux security module. The idea of this is you're allowing a process to kind of sandbox itself. So you know it ships with its own policy uh, at startup. It loads that, and then even if the process were to be compromised, it can only then live within that little sandbox that it defined for itself. So it's a good way, I guess, of, of sandboxing things. In this case, uh for file system only, uh landlock in the future. They hope to support things like network access and the like, but at the moment it is only a file system. But uh, because we support uh, LSM stacking, the next security module stacking in Ubuntu, that then means you can use landlock in conjunction with AppArmor for a more defense in depth approach. So you could go and define an AppArmor policy for your application and then you could even have it go and load its own uh, landlock policy too and then you've got this defense in depth approach uh, to make sure that you know, it can't uh, step outside the bounds of what you've defined for it. So that is really cool to see as well. So yeah, these are just, I guess, the uh, features of the kernel that stuck out most to me. There are a heap of others as well, because we've gone all the way from a 5.4 kernel in 2004 long-term support to now a 5.15 kernel in 2204. Heap of different features have gone into that. And yeah, these are just some of them. As I said, also, we will go into some detail on the other parts of the distro that have been updated, other different packages and the like, and the security features that come from those in the coming weeks, episode two. So look out for that. All right, and that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can email us at security@ubuntu.com. We do hang out in the Ubuntu security channel on the libera.chat IRC network. Come and join us there and have a chat with us. Uh, you can also see us on Twitter at sec as well, uh, like uh, one user did, who raised the issue that uh, oval data for 2204 long-term support is currently... Uh, a bit uh, missing in action and that, yeah, we are currently looking into that. So if any of you are using Oval, uh, yeah, with any luck, that will be uh, working and updated by the time this podcast is published. But otherwise, very soon, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. has been great being back here, doing it all again for you. I will be back again with you all next week, particularly to bring you the next part in what's new in Ubuntu 22.04 long-term support security. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got you back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.